Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Olivia Mentor. And today is our November book club, our final book club of the year. And we're talking about The Cloisters by Katie Hayes. I can't believe this is our final book club. I feel like we just started doing this. I know. Well, you've earned a break. We get December <laughs> book club off. It's, it's going to be a weird feeling, but I'm looking forward to next year already. Me too. Before we talk about the book, should we do some highs and lows? Yeah. Talk to me about your high. I think we're in the same boat this week that our high and our low is the same. I not, saw that. Not I the same like... as each other's, but the, like the high and the low are both the same thing. When I looked at the outline, I was like, we look a little unhinged. Truly. <laughs> the repetitiveness. Truly. But I want to hear more. So my both my high and my low is book edits. Mm. It's my high because it's going. I feel like since we recorded last week, it's it's gotten faster. I'm getting into a groove. I've like picked up speed and momentum. So that's great. I'm also just trying to remind myself about how lucky I am that this isn't something that should feel bad, even though it's hard. Like I'm so lucky to get to do this. Like this is the fulfillment of a dream that I've had, whether I've realized it fully or not since I was a child. So, you know, it's like it's a high that I get to be doing this. I feel more positive about it than I did last week. It's a low because it's hard, man. It's hard <laughs> and it's fast and it's scary. Like I, I'm starting to get the, is it good enough? What will people say on Goodreads type feelings are like sneaking in? Because, you know, before I was able to tell myself, well, it might not even sell. Like nobody's going to even read it. So, you know, that was my big fear. But now I'm like, oh, what are other people going to say? Yeah. So it's a high and a low. I have a week and a half left on my deadline, so I'm going. I think that's all that matters. Like, as long as you're making forward progress, you're being consistent. I mean, you know, anything worth worth doing is going to be hard at some point, I think. Yeah, the, the thing that I feel good about is that if I am being truthful with myself, there is no scenario in which I could say, you could be doing a better job. You could be working harder at this. Like I know that I am putting in as much effort as is possible. And so, you know, like I'm giving it my all. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you are. That's all that matters. And it's going. And you're gonna it's hit going. your deadline and it'll be great. Yes. Tell me your high slash low. My high slash low is similar. And it is just being an adult, which I feel like I'm just now realizing I am at 29 and three quarters. Um, I just, I feel like every, every year I just have this realization that being an adult kind of sucks, sort of <laughs> like taxes somehow get more complicated instead of less complicated and money becomes more complicated, even when you have more of it than you did in your early twenties and just all of it decisions. Yeah. What's, I don't know. What's the high part of this? Okay, the high part of it is that I can do whatever I want. Like, it's actually a specific high within a high because last week I ended my work day. It was like 6 p.m. We went to take Winnie for a walk, Jake and I. And I was like, I'm going to get some ice cream. Oh, Not I knew this had ice cream for dinner. I feel like that is like the ultimate. <laughs> I know. Like when you're like adulting sucks, but you're like, I could have ice cream for dinner. I know. Like everyone says that and you're like, yeah, but you know, you don't do it that often. Then mm -hmm. you do it. You're like, wow, I can do whatever. Actually, I can do whatever I want at any point. Like I could just completely go off the rails. And 
I don't think getting ice cream before dinner is off the rails, but what it represents is freedom. Freedom. (laughs) And there were so many times growing up where I was like, oh, I just want to have like my own space and my own, you know, whatever items, life decisions. So it feels good, but it's hard sometimes. Kind of like book edits. I get that. I get that. (laughs) But overall, it's a high because I'm alive. So there's that. I'm, I'm, I don't know what to say back to that. I'm glad you're alive. Thank you so much. That's the only thing you could say, I think. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. I feel like that was not a rousing round of highs and lows. <laughs> Should we just leave that behind and get into this this book club? Yes, let's do it. Okay. So this month we read The Cloisters by Katie Hayes, as I said. And I'll give you the 10,000-foot plot summary, and then we can get into it. So after graduating college, Anne Stilwell, who is an outsider from Washington State, takes a prestigious internship at the Met Museum, where she is assigned to the Met Cloisters. There, the team is prepping for an exhibition about the history of tarot, tracing its roots back to the early Renaissance. And as Anne goes from outsider to insider, when Rachel, who's the cool girl who's half of the two-person curation team, takes her under her wing, Anne learns that the hunt for the first tarot deck is more personal to Rachel and their boss, Patrick, than she originally thought. Especially when Patrick turns up dead and Anne has to question Rachel's role in his demise. There's so much that didn't even make it in. There's a love plot line. There's a plot line with her parents. Like, this book had a lot of threads. There were a lot. Some worked for me and some did not. Tell me your thoughts, because I'd already read this over the summer, and I re-read it. I listened to it this time. But I'm very curious, because this was your first time. What did you think? I liked it. Like I said, there were some, we'll get into it, but there were some plot lines that I was like, it felt thrown in. It, it just didn't seem necessary to me. But overall, I thought the writing was really interesting. Um, I liked that it like didn't fit neatly within one genre. I felt like I was learning a lot about the world of academia and ancient artifacts as I read, which was cool. And um, yeah, it had like thriller vibes, but it was different. So I enjoyed it. What about you? you? I mean, I know you liked it, yeah. I really liked it. I mean, this fits squarely in my non-scary thriller mandate that, you know, I'm not afraid that I'm going to get entrenched in the hunt for the first tarot deck and be murdered. So, you know, I don't have to really project. You never know. I really liked it. I think, you know, there's that writing advice that gets thrown around of like, write what you know. And I felt like, and I looked this up, the author Katie Hayes is an art history professor. Like I, I just felt like this story was so rich and this world was so rich. And I was like learning about something that I'd never thought about, about the behind the scenes of working in a museum and kind of the academic art history world. Yeah. And I also just, I loved that the book had such like a strong sense of place. Like it was a really interesting New York type book and of a part of New York that I don't actually spend that much time in. Yeah. I did enjoy that a lot. I thought some of the descriptions of the city, especially because it was set in summer and I feel like New York in the summer is such a very specific, like visceral experience (laughs) in terms of the smells and feels. And I thought it was really good. It's so weird that this book takes place over the summer because it feels like such a fall book to me, vibe-wise. Did you get that feeling? Yeah, I kind of found myself wondering why they said it in summer. Maybe just to sort of add to, like, 
the overall like out of place uncomfortable feeling that Anne seemed to have throughout her time there but uh, it was interesting well I think it made sense because of the internship it was like a summer internship thing so oh right it made sense for the job but I'm sure they could have like yeah it felt very fall to me yeah it was very moody it felt very like dark Yeah, dark and moody. Yeah. Is there anything you would compare this to? I read a review that said something like, this was different than anything I had read. I don't know what I would say is like this. Have have you read something similar? I have a few things that I would compare it to. So I don't know if this was like externally or if it was only in like the PR pitch, but it was comped to The Secret History by Donna Tartt meets Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. A comp, basically, when you sell a book or when a publishing house is pitching a book, they try to compare it to other things. And so they're like, it's kind of like this or this meets that or like this with this twist. And so I thought that was really apropos. I read The Secret History a long, long time ago. Have you ever read it? I read it in college, so very long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I like didn't love it. I didn't either, but I remember feeling like I was supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> it's very like I feel like it's a very famous piece of contemporary literature. But you know, it has that secret dark academic underbelly, things are not what they appear type vibe. And then, you know, Ninth House, I think, is a little more supernatural than this, but it does kind of have the fall vibes and it has the elite secret world type thing. So I I thought that those were both really good comps. And I, I totally saw that this was like the combination of those two things. Right. The other thing that it kind of reminded me of was A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness. Not because there was anything supernatural going on here, but because that book also had the plot line about alchemy in Shakespearean England. And so it kind of, you know, it was in a modern setting, but it was talking about a historical mystery. And so that kind of reminded me of this book as well. Yeah, I could totally see that. I read that book a long time ago as well. But the alchemy thing, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I can see that connection. What genre would you call this? Would you call this a thriller? It felt very thriller-y to me in terms of the pacing, like the way that it was like twist, 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 twist. Yeah. But the subject matter was a little different, I guess. So so it didn't in that way. But to me, it felt most like a thriller than anything else. What about you? Yeah, I, I'm having trouble. And I, I think if you've been listening to the episodes throughout this month as we've been trying to pitch this, I've been like having trouble deciding what to call this. It like, it is thrillery in some ways. Like there's a murder at the center. You know that somebody dies from the beginning. I think you're right. The back, especially the last third really has thriller pacing. But like, there wasn't a lot of hiding who was the bad guy. There were some twists, but like, I feel like Rachel, they were very upfront that they were like, Rachel's a bad person. Yeah. Like to the point where Anne is like straight up warned. So like there wasn't that element of solving who the bad guy is. Like it was like more how they're bad or what their motivation was, but less like who did it. Yeah. It was one of the things that I wasn't sure how I felt about it because it was fairly obvious, obviously, that Rachel was bad. And then, of course, it was fairly obvious that Patrick was kind of bad or maybe bad or not holy good or whatever even though obviously it's revealed that it's kind of more complicated than that and leo is such a deeply unlikable character throughout the entire book i was like okay well obviously these people are all involved in something like i didn't think there was going to be some happy ending right and there were so few characters that 
I was like, there's not going to be a twist that doesn't involve these people. Although I guess there was with her father. Yeah. And then like she ultimately kind of ended up being the bad guy or like, you know, she was the ultimate outsider who then became the ultimate insider. Yeah. So yeah, like it's kind of a twist, but like it wasn't as if Rachel was revealed to be innocent. Yes. Yes. I was reading and I was like, how are they going to end this? Because I thought maybe because it was so thriller-ish that they would give something, they would have a twist that was like so completely out of left field that it would then render everyone else innocent. But anyway, I I thought it worked overall. I kept reading. Yeah. What did you think of the characters? I mean, it is a book where most people are pretty unlikable. It's interesting. I, I I definitely thought that the characters presented as older than they were, like specifically in Anne and Rachel's yes. case, because they just graduated college. So theoretically, they're what, 22? I kept forgetting that. And they definitely felt like they were much older than that. Like maybe they were in their late 20s or even in their 30s. And so I did really empathize with Anne kind of that difficulty of finding your bearings right after college, even though sometimes I was forgetting that that was the situation she was in. You moved to New York. I, I moved here when I was 26. Like, you know, you move here after college and you're like, oh my God, everyone's so much cooler than me. Everyone knows what they're doing and I don't know what I'm doing. And I feel like I really empathized with that aspect of the book. And I think there were some elements of like her acclimating to like the work world that felt really relatable. I didn't find her like wholly a relatable character, but I think that there were like certain elements. Um, yeah. And then I didn't like her, but I thought Rachel was like an incredibly interesting character. Yeah, there was certainly a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah, like I was like, what's your deal? I don't know. I thought she was an interesting character, but I hadn't quite like figured her out by the end. I guess maybe that's the point. There was a lot happening and there were a lot of twists and turns within the story and the characters were interesting, but I felt like I still didn't understand their motivations for anything. And so because of that, I felt like maybe they could have been developed more or differently or I was Mm. missing something. But I don't know if that's just me. Maybe I'm like too close to the book. I literally just finished it today. But What did you think about Leo? I want to talk about Leo, actually, because... That was a character that I hated more than I've hated many characters in my reading experience. I certainly didn't like him, but I felt like I knew who he was, like the kind of guy that you date in your early 20s because you're like, (laughs) oh, he's this like artist guy who bucks what's expected or conventional. And so like I totally got the type of guy, like he was totally terrible, but you kind of have to go through that phase to learn that. So I don't know. I thought it was interesting. To, to skip ahead, like to, to get to the end, when Leo is arrested for something Rachel did, like he seems a little too cool with it. He's yeah, like, yeah, it's point. fine. No big deal. I'm still going to keep stealing things. So it doesn't really matter to me if Rachel gets caught because like I can still keep stealing things. And it was like, what? Are you more pissed? Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah, I also, like, could not tell. At one point, it's like, oh, Anne was falling in love with him. And then at another point, it seemed totally casual. 
not important at all. And I was like, okay, is this a love story? Is this, I, I didn't know, like, is Anne in love with him? Is Anne infatuated with him? I mean, I thought it was clear that he was hooking up with Rachel or had hooked up with Rachel. But then, like, I felt like that was supposed to be a reveal. But I was like, is that supposed to hit me like a twist or not? I, I don't know. I didn't really, he didn't bother me throughout the book until the end. Like, I didn't, I wasn't like, yeah, girl, get your happy ending. But I was like, oh, yeah, I get this. And in the end, he, it was it was a little interesting where it was like, are you a part of this? Are you not a part of this? Are you mad? <laughs> yeah, it was unclear. Well, it was unclear. I guess let's talk about some of the plot twists. I want to know which one surprised you. Were there any that you saw coming? How did they work for you? Let's let's talk twists. I figured that all of them were kind of involved in bad things in some way or another. <laughs> I kind of expected it actually to go into like a, a sort of sex cult direction. Oh, I was not seeing that. Like there was one scene that I was sure there it was going to be some sort of an orgy or something. Oh. I don't know why my when mind When they do drugs there. in the library, you mean? Right. Yeah, I was okay. like, okay, I see this is where this is going. And then it was like, no, we're just going with the traditional murder kind of situation. But most of them were pretty predictable, I felt, but not so predictable that I was bored. And then the one twist that I was like, okay, didn't see that coming and also don't really understand the purpose of this is the one about the fact that Anne killed her father accidentally mm -hmm. and then drove away from the scene. Well, he, he told her to, right. basically. But yes. And then, I mean, it makes sense. So Does it? Maybe I missed it. Like, I felt like there should have been some foreshadowing to that. And basically, I was just like, oh, yeah, her dad died. She's really sad. So earlier in the book, they talk about her being institutionalized because she has like a mental breakdown. Oh, right. And it seems at the time that she was just sad about her father's death. But then obviously it was more complex because she caused it. And I'm not actually I don't actually remember if her mom knew that or not or if she just knew that and like the guilt got to her. Well, that's another thing. I was like the mom is sort of this figure in the book, but also doesn't seem very impactful. But she's always around, like in her thoughts and I don't know. But it, it, going back to Anne killing her father, I think it makes sense because if Anne truly was as innocent as she seemed, then she killed Rachel. That would be like completely out of left field. Like I am totally lily white and like naive and oh, accidentally kind of caused Rachel's death. So I can take credit, like, you would be like, what? Like, how did we get here? So I think the the fact that she had some other trauma in her past that she had indirectly caused her father's death, like, she had killed once before unintentionally. I don't know. I felt like that made it make more sense. A lot of patricide, yeah, because maybe. Rachel also killed her parents. That one, I did not see coming. Right. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> I, I mean, as soon as they said, like, her parents, when the, the housekeeper was like, yes, her parents, I was like, oh, okay. oh, yeah. I feel like, you know, a lot of it was on the surface of like, yes, when the housekeeper is talking about Rachel's parents' death, it was very clear that something fishy was going on and she wasn't involved. So it almost all the twists didn't matter until the end twist that Anne killed her father and then Anne killed Rachel and took credit. Like it was all leading up to that. And the other ones weren't very well hidden, I guess. Yeah. 
which I didn't I didn't totally hate. Me either. Uh, it was just kind of interesting choices that are kind of difficult to understand unless you're in the author's head. However, two things I really loved. Okay. Uh, first, I loved the descriptions of the cottage, The what did they call it? The camp mm-hmm. in the Adirondacks. I thought it was so atmospheric and beautiful and I could see everything and I just like wanted to be there. I thought and this sec- author overall yeah. had such a mastery of place and setting. Like she described yes. buildings and like even the way she described the cloisters and you know, just every place setting wise she described was so vivid. Yes. I almost felt like this book was very calming. Oddly. Mm. Weird. <laughs> like I found it I found it very um relaxing, maybe because of those descriptions of place. Like it just felt very soothing. I don't know. And I felt like she did such a great job giving such a sense of place, but it didn't feel overly flowery to me. You know, some books where you read it's just paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs like it felt like she was really picking out like really specific individual details where it was like you got such a great sense of a place but I was never bored or I was never like yeah 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 I don't want to read three pages about the walls of the right the Adirondacks (laughs) house no I think it all served like the actual story and the plot and the characters very well and the second thing is what you just said, but I loved the end when she took credit for everything. <laughs> I thought it was great. I thought well, it was the perfect perfect way to end the book, and I loved it. I feel like earlier this year, there was this glut of scammer books, and this actually kind of ends up fitting in, but on the surface, you don't know that. So I feel yeah. like it's very zeitgeisty in terms of kind of fitting that like female scammer subgenre but not on its surface. Yeah. The other thing, I think, honestly, maybe my favorite part of the book was I loved the historical mystery. I don't actually love historical fiction. I generally have a hard time getting into most historical fiction. I don't know. I guess it, it's just a preference. I can't really describe what I don't like about it. But I really liked this because it was told through a contemporary lens and the main story was in the present. I do sometimes like a book where it's like a historical fiction that has like two storylines, one in the present and one in the past. But I I have a hard time with anything like purely historical. But I thought this was so interesting about the history of tarot in early Renaissance Italy. And I was just like living for the facts. Like I thought it was so, I assume it was true. I have no, especially if the, especially if the author is an art history professor, I didn't actually verify any of this, but I thought that it was just really interesting. Yeah, I agree. I It's funny you mentioned historical fiction because it's not, but I finished reading and I was like, oh, I want to read more historical fiction because I found the details about like the, all those ancient cultures really, really fascinating. Are you a big historical fiction reader? I used to be. It used to be my favorite genre. Oh, really? Like yeah, what era? Was- Do you have a favorite era? No. I mean, when I say it used to be my favorite genre, I mostly mean that I was obsessed with those Dear America books where it was like young child writing her diary on the Titanic, which how would that diary survive? I don't know. But um, I guess that's that's why it's (laughs) very damp. But I mean, I've read other stuff and I've loved it. Kristen Hanna does really good historical fiction of all different time periods. And I've read a couple of hers that have been really good. Of course, like everyone, The Nightingale. But yeah, I don't know. Do you have any favorites? Even though you said you don't like it. Have you had any good experiences with historical fiction? I I have a few. I do have a specific soft spot for 
like 1920s Gatsby jazz age. So I do like Amor Tolls, The Rules of Civility. I really like that. There's this book called A Sky Painted Gold, which is one of my all-time favorite books. It's basically like teen British Gatsby. So I really like that era. I did actually love A Gentleman in Moscow, which I would I would consider historical fiction. I mean, I've definitely read some World War II fiction. The Alice Network comes to mind, which was like so oh, great. I, lo- I love The Alice Network so much. Like I definitely have read them, but it's just not something I gravitate towards unless it's like a book like The Alice Network where everyone is raving about it. Yeah. I feel like I often love reading historical fiction when I do, but I'm very rarely in the mood for it. Mm. So maybe I just need to push myself. Interesting. Okay, maybe 2023 is the year of historical fiction for you. We should do one for book club. We we never have. Or have we? No, I mean, Black Cake has like a historical plot line, mm-hmm. but it also has a contemporary plot line. Yeah. Well, um, I'll get my eyes peeled. Okay. Let's take a quick ad break and then let's talk about tarot. <laughs> So I really enjoy making gift guides, but they can honestly be pretty tedious to write, particularly when I am also writing them for a lot of different publications. But this year I did something different and I actually did a gift guide on Instagram through a Q&A. I had people submit what gifts they were looking for and I searched for those gifts and shared my picks on stories. One of these requests was a gift for a guy who likes tech, food, drinks, and nerdy things. And so my first instinct was actually something from Uncommon Goods, specifically a glass topper cocktail smoker. It comes with a torch and smoking chips, and it looks very fun to use. You can even pair it with a smoky cocktail making class, which you can also buy on Uncommon Goods as one of their Uncommon Experiences gifts. I'm confused. What's a glass topper cocktail smoker? Those are four. That's a string of words I'm not not. Okay, so you put like a little smoking tray on top of a glass and Mm -hmm. then you use a torch and you smoke these smoking chips Mm -hmm. and they make a cocktail like very smoky and give it that feel. I hate dark liquor personally, but for someone that likes like an old fashioned or something like that, it it could. And honestly, you could learn if you pair it with the smoky cocktail making class. So we could both learn. Okay. I personally love the idea of gifting an uncommon experience because personally, I do not want more clutter or knickknacks in my space. So I feel like an experience gift is always my preferred, both to give and receive. And there are so many fun ones. They have everything. There's an 80s themed cocktail making class, a ukulele class, a chocolate truffles class, a flower arranging class. It goes on and on and on. And these would be such a perfect gift for someone who is more of a minimalist or people who insist they don't need anything. I know so many of those people personally, and they are always very difficult to shop for. And the other thing that's great about Uncommon Goods is that when you shop there, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash BOP. That's uncommongoods.com slash BOP for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. (laughs) 
Let's briefly talk about the ending. We kind of touched on it already, but as a whole, did it work for you? Yes, I think it did. I think it did. It like completed the arc for Anne of outsider to ultimate insider that she gets the credit for the discovery of the first tarot deck that, you know, she outmaneuvers Rachel, who is like the ultimate maneuverer. I think it did work for me. What about you? Yeah, I really liked it. It was I think it was my favorite part of the whole book, actually. Yeah, like it really tied it together. The way it all connected. In an interesting way. Totally agree. So at the end of the book, after the actual ending, Uh there's all these pages of like a table of astrological signs and I just like kind of browse through it, I'll be honest. But did you look look at them? Did you read through it? No, now I'm jealous. So I actually read an arc of this book. So an advanced copy I read in July when I was stuck in France when I had COVID. And so that didn't, it wasn't, you know, fully designed. It didn't have those pages at the back. And then this time I listened to the audio and it didn't have any of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, if you have the hard copy or on a Kindle or something, check it out. People that are into astrology. I didn't really understand most of it because I don't know like my, do you know your rising sign and your like, whatever, that's all I know. Yes. <laughs> your other signs. So I I went on this wild goose chase because you have to know the, the hour of your birth in order to figure mm-hmm. out your, I think your rising sign. And I really wanted to know mine. And I... I couldn't find my birth certificate and my mother is deceased and I have no idea who has my birth certificate. So I had to order my birth certificate online to see what just for the replacement. What? Yes. This was like years ago to like see what my rising sign was. I don't think I relate to I think my rising sign is cancer and I don't relate to that. So I know mine, but I feel like I much more vibe with my sun sign, which is Virgo. Mm, Okay, I kind of feel the same way. Because I'm a Pisces, which I, you know, relate to. But I ha- I downloaded the CoStar app and I had my mom send me a photo of my birth certificate and I just was like, this is too much for me. I don't need all of this. I don't really fully believe in it. So I'm like, I just kind of think it's fun, like any other sort of personality test. Uh, do you Do you believe in it? I mean, do you think it's anything? I don't know. I don't not believe in it. Like, I I don't believe in it. I don't know. I think there's so many charlatans out there. Like, I'm speaking of, about tarot specifically, not astrology. Um, but I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm curious. I feel like some people are more intuitive. I actually had a very funny experience a couple of weeks ago. So um, my friend Jackie was visiting, and so was her mom. And we'd gone out to dinner in the West Village. And then we were we wanted to buy Powerball tickets because it was one of the po- the Powerball jackpot was so high. And so we were like walking through the West Village trying to find a convenience store that sold Powerball tickets. And we walked past this um, psychic shop. And there was a woman outside who was – it was like a Saturday night at – midnight and she was doing $10 readings. And so I've never had a formal tarot reading. Um, A tarot reading was more expensive. I feel like it was like $100 to get like your full tarot reading done. So was the other option just like reading your palm or just kind of like sensing your... Yeah, it was like a vibe reading kind of. And it was it was dumb. Like this woman specifically was like clearly just trying to upsell you into something else. So it was like a few minutes and um, my friend Jackie did it. Her, 
her mom was like, I'll pay for you both to do it. And like Jackie did it. And then I kind of listened and I was like, I don't really need this. And the woman was like, you were sexually abused in a past life. And like, you have a man in your past. And it was like, one of those things is so vague and the other one is like fully unverifiable. So like, you will die one day. Yeah, totally. And so it was, it was a really bizarre thing. However, like if somebody who believed in it had a person, Mm. like I've had friends who like have gone to psychics or like tarot readers or, or something like that. If somebody were to refer me to a person, I would totally try it. Probably, I probably wouldn't want to do it alone, but with somebody, I would, I would be like, oh yeah, this is interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a fun like activity. I one time my friend was visiting me in New York, and we got it in our heads that we wanted to see a psychic, and so I don't know why we went about it this way, but we went on to like Yelp, and so we were like just reading these reviews of psychics. We eventually found someone. And we went to, like, a person's home. It wasn't her home, which was very weird. I don't know why she was there. And we just, like, walked up this brownstone in the Upper East Side, like a very nice, actually right by the Met. So this is really all coming together. And we sat there on that couch. Don't know whose couch it was. And I don't know. It felt more legit somehow because it wasn't a storefront or something. Mm. It was like we had to call them and do all of that. But... I don't know. I don't remember anything she said about me, but she did say something about twins to my friend and her dad is a twin. And Mm. I was like, hmm. And then one time I did go to a psychic and she was like, I'm seeing an older woman next to you. And she like, can't use half of her face. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I walk home and I call my mom and I'm (laughs) I tell her this. I'm like, it's, you know, crock of shit or whatever. And she was like, oh, well, you know, my grandmother had like a condition where half of her face was paralyzed and I had no idea about that. So anyway, I don't know. I, I want to hear other people's psychic stories. So tell us or tarot readers or whatever. I don't, I'm not trying to say they're all the same. I the don't one know. positive story that I will say to like co-opt Grace's story. So in 2021, we had a tarot reader on for an episode in January and she did what's oh, called yeah. a tarot scope. And she basically pulled one card for each sign of the Zodiac. Is that what it's called? Your Zodiac sign? <laughs> I th- yes, I think so. Okay, so she pulled one card for each astrological sign and basically gave a reading of what that year would bring. And then she, I think she pulled three cards for my sign and Grace's sign. I don't remember what she said for me, but for Grace, she very specifically said, a man from your past is going to come back into your life. And at the time, I remember her just being like, I don't want any men from my past to come back into my <laughs> life. And like, we we kind of like laughed it off. And that was the year that she met her boyfriend, who is somebody that she'd previously met. So I don't know. There There is something really interesting to me, and it could just be coincidence, but her her teroscope reading was like pretty dead on when you look at it from the end of the year. I think it's like it's just kind of a nice thing to believe that maybe it's possible. Cuz why not? One other thing going back to the actual content of the book that I want to talk about. I thought it was so interesting on second read. So the prologue to this book is very much about fate versus free will and 
could Anne have changed anything that happened? Was it all going to happen all along? And, you know, obviously with the theme of tarot, there's a lot of like, how much control do you have versus the universe? Um, and I, I just started to think about it. And it's so interesting because Rebecca Searle, who wrote In Five Years specifically, but also in a lot of her other books, she explores a lot of themes about fate versus free will. And I just was thinking how interesting it is that it's like two people could write a book about the exact same macro topic and it's such a different book. Like in five years versus this is completely like appeals potentially to two different readers. And I just I thought that that was something that was really interesting. I've never read in five years, but of course I've heard everyone talk about it. I mean, it is kind of like a universal question, I guess. Right. Well, it just, it is an interesting question, but I just, I think even more so like how you could give two people the same assignment and they come up with something completely different. Like, I'm pretty sure that Mike Shore, who created The Good Place, and Greg Daniels, I think, who created Upload, like they did it on a bet, both creating shows about the afterlife. Oh my God. And it's like, it's just so interesting how you could give two people the same prompt and they come up with two things that are so different. Humans are very impressive. That's what I will say. Very creative and very impressive. Yeah. Now I want to watch The Good Place. I'm trying to now verify if this is true. (gasps) I feel like I listened to that on a podcast, but now I have no idea if this is true. So it seems so right to me. I trusted you 100%. Take this with a grain of salt, Lister. I don't want to be starting rumors. Okay, one last question for you. Have you ever been to the cloisters? No, I've never been. And if I hadn't been on this book deadline, I would have considered going. It's something that I've always, that's been on my New York, like, oh, I should do that sometime list. But it's, it is very far up there, as is a main plot point of the book. So I've never made it there. Have you? No, but I did. I really want to go. When they described it, as like a th- it feels like the 13th century, but with um, indoor plumbing. I was like, that sounds great. <laughs> have you seen pictures? Uh, I think so, yes. Like, it's just a very cool-looking space. It seems beautiful. I would but I would avoid the poisonous plants, perhaps. And I think another main plot point of this is that it's much cooler there in the summer. So I think it's some place that's like, I don't know if popular is the right word, but like people go in the summer to get out of the city heat. We should go. It'd be fun next time I'm in New York. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. And I'd also love to go to the Bronx Botanical Garden, which is not necessarily like near it, but that's another place that's like very far uptown that I've never been to. All right. Well, any final thoughts about the cloisters? No, I feel like we did. <laughs> I, I've, if I'm rating us on how we did on this book club, I would give us a four. I would give us a four. And that's really mostly just because we read the book. You read it twice. So maybe a five. This has been the hardest book club we've had. I don't know why. But listener, I would love to hear what you thought of this book. I would love to hear your thoughts, which I assume are probably more intelligent than ours. <laughs> So please come talk to us about this in the Facebook group. Because I feel like I don't know why the content of this episode makes it sound like we disliked the book because I really did enjoy it. Maybe it's just that we don't have as many questions about it as we do with other books. Like I had some questions, but for the most part, I was like, that was enjoyable. Yeah, that's I mean, that's something that Grace and I have learned again and again, where it's like the books that you enjoy don't always make the best book club picks because like what themes and topics do they have to really discuss and for people to agree or disagree over versus, you know, Rachel's a bad person. I don't think anyone's going to come up with the argument like, oh, she oh, no. killed her. She killed her dad, but yeah, not really, but sort of. Yeah. 
So let's get out of book club and let's do some end matter. Olivia, what are you obsessed with? I am obsessed with this documentary called Stutz on Netflix. It's directed by Jonah Hill. It's about him and his therapist and their relationship. I saw people talking about this before it came out. It's so good. It's so, so, so good. It's... Is it a mini series or is it a documentary? It's a documentary. It's very different than what I expected it to be. It's like sort of about Jonah Hill, sort of about the therapist, sort of about both of them. But um, he, Jonah Hill talks a lot about his experience with like being like existing in a larger body in Hollywood and growing up overweight and all of that. And it's really fascinating. It's incredibly moving and very like sad in parts but it's not a I don't know it's not like everyone would cry it just made me feel emotional because I love therapy so much and I love my therapist so anyway I really recommend it to everyone it's super interesting okay I have to check that out yeah it's it's a real I think you'd like it tell me about your obsession My obsession is my new at-home printing setup. My book writing process is not incredibly environmentally friendly. Disclaimer. I find the experience of reading something on a screen versus printed to be completely different. And so I find like printing out pages and actually like marking them up and reading them printed is like incredibly helpful to me to write. So anyway, usually I go to Staples and I print out like a whole bound manuscript. I decided I wanted to be able to print at home. So I bought a I bought a bunch of cheap ink on Amazon. That's not like the obsession part of this. And then I bought a three-ring binder and an electric hole punch that lets you hole punch 20 pages at a time. And I learned how to format a document so that you do two pages per page. So it prints like horizontally two pages side by side. And so it almost is like book sized. So it like almost is more like the experience of reading a book. And I am obsessed with being able to print out my pages this way at home. I love that. I constantly fantasize about having like an adult printing setup. Instead, it's just like every time I have to print, I have no paper, no ink, and I hate everything that's happening. So well, I stocked up. I'm I'm an at home Kinko's. I, I aspire just call me to, Kinko's. I aspire to be like that. I really, really do. What about on the reading front? On the reading front, I haven't been doing that much reading. So I finished The Cloisters this week, today, (laughs) and I I liked it despite my non-smart thoughts that I had about it. (laughs) But yeah, what did you read? So I read this book called Someday Maybe by an author named Okni Wabanelli. I just listened to a video to try to pronounce that correctly, and I deeply apologize if I did not get that correct. So... It is GMA's book club pick this month, and it's about a woman's experience with grief. It's fiction after her husband dies by suicide. It's a debut book, obviously based on the topic matter. You can tell that it's like a pretty tough, sad book. This woman can write. The writing is fantastic. Just the the sentence paragraph writing is like really, really incredible. And her depiction of grief is so, so powerful. So it's obviously a bit of a heavier book, a bit of a harder book to get through, but really poignant and like really beautiful. I love the title and I love everything you just said. So I'm definitely going to read this one. And it's also about the main character lives in London, but is from like a very tight knit 
Nigerian family. I think that was my favorite part was the was the family dynamics of her family supporting her through her grief. It sounds great. Yeah, it was it was really lovely. Wow. So we're going to think about our feelings and book clubs and do better. <laughs> oh, God. Please don't stop listening to this podcast. We'll be back. We'll be back with hotter takes. The hottest. Steaming hot. <laughs> but we do still have two more episodes for the year, which I think you'll be really excited about. Next week, we're doing our best of 2022. We're going to talk about our favorite shows, purchases, trips, moments. We're going to be counting down the best of 2022. And then well, it's going to be fun. The week after, we're going to do our best books of the year. And we're also going to get some voicemails from listeners to hear their best books of the year. So stick with us the next two weeks. I think they're going to be really, really fun to wrap up the year. If you would like to share your thoughts about this book or shame us for what a (laughs) mediocre job we did on this book club, come talk to us in the Facebook group. We're also on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. 